So <clears throat> we're in this series, okay? I'm gonna make short work of the review because I went way over time for a service and I've committed to not doing it this service. But we're in this series called Sent. And here's what we've said, just catch you up to speed. We said when people get bored, they sit around, right? And when people are bored and sit around, they do stupid things, right? We said that first week. You can go online and check it out. But we said this, the reason we said that people who get bored sit around do stupid things is there are a lot of people, everybody look here, I want you to see this on purpose this week, there are a lot of people who say they're Christians. Everybody do that with me, everybody do it with me, come on, do it with me, it's just fun, do it. Okay, air quotes, right? Christians who are bored. And the reason they're bored is because somewhere along the way, they have believed or somebody has taught them that the essence, the the call, and the experience of being a Christian is primarily about sitting around. Somewhere along the way, somebody told them that the minute you become a Christian, the very next most important thing you do is go to church where you sit around. That is important, by the way. But they were told that's the next thing. And then you grow from that to going to a Bible study where you what? Sit around. And for some, that's all their experience is like, I'm called to sit around. And they become bored. And we said this, the followers of Jesus, very first followers of Jesus, that would have been foreign to them. They would have understood that that was not the primary call of Jesus for those who were following him. We said it this way every week, that following Jesus is not simply about sitting around, but it's about being sent out. And we said the reason that it's about being sent out is that when Jesus primarily describes his life and his ministry, he says this, I was sent by the Father. Like, my life is all about the Father sending me. And then when he gets ready to go, here's what he does. He looks and he says, now I am sending you. John 17 says it this way. As you, everybody say the yellow out loud, as you sent me into the world, I have what? Sent them into the world. And so it's primarily about being sent sent. That is the call of Jesus. That's the essence of what it means to follow Jesus. That's the essence of the experience of being a Christ follower. Three weeks, this is the last week, the first two weeks, here's what we said. That Jesus, when he first called his followers, he said, I'm sending you to fish for people. We said it this way, that we are sent to evangelize. We are sent to evangelize. That's why some of us are wearing these bracelets, right? It's not because like, hey, we got some grace wear, all that kind of stuff, but we are praying for three people in our life that we are purposefully in their life for a reason. Many of you have shared with me about the people you're praying for. If you didn't get one of these, they're still available. And I would say pick them up, not just so you have a cool bracelet, right? But so that you can be reminded. In fact, you won't wear it because it's cool, right? It gets old and ratty and faded, but it reminds me that I'm praying for three people in my life. Not only that, but I'm praying for them and I'm praying for me that I'll have the opportunity to share with them my story. And I challenged you, everybody listen, because I'm going to give you a, a homework assignment. I challenged you to write your story, three minutes or less, to write your story of how you came to Christ. Because I've had people say, I don't know what to say to people. Yes, you do if you have a story. And so I said, go home and write your story three minutes or less. Here's my challenge today. You ready? I really mean this. I want some of you to send me your story. Like three minutes or less. I can't, I don't have enough time to read a long story, right? Three minutes or less. I want to hear your story. Send it in an email, right? Put it in my box. Somehow send me your story. Write your story. You have a story. And then pray that you have an opportunity to share your story. Last week, we just said this, okay? If you were here, if you weren't, go online and check it out, that that we are sent to influence our world, not isolate, right? Not insulate, not irritate and just kind of yell at our world. We were sent to influence our world by making the invisible Jesus visible. If you weren't here, you need to check it out by helping people who are in need, right? By helping those who are hurting. We are sent, right? Not a few professionals, people, but, but we are sent. And then we said to stand up for the cause of justice, It was so important last week. Today, I want to take you somewhere, okay? We went from some of the first words of Jesus today, third week, last week of the series. We're going to end with some of the last words of Jesus. Everybody look here. Some of y'all grew up in church. Everybody look here. I want to just be honest with you. And I'm going to read a passage here in a second. Don't put it up yet. And your eyes are going to glaze over. I already know it. I already know it. Because you've heard the passage a gazillion times. And so you're going to be like, oh, man, they went back to that one, right? And, and here's what I'm going to ask you to do, okay? I'm going to ask your eyes not to glaze over. Can we do that? Yes? 
That was awful. One yes over here. Can we do that? Yes. All right, because I want to present it to you in a way that maybe you've never heard it before. I've never presented it this way, but it's so important for you to hear it because Jesus, right before he left, said this. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. By the way, that's not a command. That, as it's written in the Greek, is literally like this, as you're going. It's kind of this part of simple phrase. It's like, as you're going, going where? As you're going to school, as you're going to work, as you're going to the, to the gym, to the YMCA, as you're going home, as you're going wherever it might be, as you're going, I'm sending you. So wherever you're going, see yourself as sent. You see what I'm saying? We usually read this like, I'm not sent to Africa. I'm not sent. No, no. When you go home, see yourself as sent. And as you're being sent, I want you to what? Say these two words out loud. To make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Here's what I want to talk to you about for a few minutes, and I want you to write it down, and then we got to flesh it out in a very important way. We are sent to make disciples. If you're a follower of Jesus, we are sent to make disciples. Now, here's where we got to begin. If we're going to understand what this means, we got to get our head around this whole idea of what a disciple is. Because if, we, if we're just honest, let's be honest in here, we don't use that word a lot in our modern vernacular, right? And when we do, quite frankly, that word has become like a lot of other words in our modern vernacular. It changes meaning over time, Right? it kind of gets watered down. You ever notice that? Some of you, I'm looking around, not a lot of you are, are older like me. Give me an amen on that if you're older like me. Bob, I see you back there. You're older like me, right? And, and here's the deal. If you're older like me, I love working with young people, right? We, our room is filled with interns and residents, and, and every Sunday night, I have a bunch of people come hang out in my house. I love that. That actually brings life to me. It's one of the favorite things I do, right? But here's what I have found that some of the things that I say, they laugh at. You know why? Because I say it and I think it means one thing only to find out somewhere along the way it's changed meanings. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah, a couple years ago, Christmas Eve, one of my good buddies who's way older than me, Brian Brown's his name, way older than me, he was leading the part of the service where we were gonna light the candles. We do that every Christmas Eve. I love it, right? And so he had a team of people and he's trying to get them ready because they're the ones who are gonna lead through that part of the service. And here's what he said to them. He got them all together, and a lot of them were under 30. And he says, here's what I want you to do. Get your candles and go back there and get lit. <laughs> if you ain't laughing, you my age. Because <laughs> Brian stood there like, what are y'all laughing about when they start laughing, right? Apparently, getting lit isn't just like, Put a little fire to that candle, right? And if you don't know what it means, ask your kids, all right? But, but, but the fact is, words change over time, right? And this word disciple is a word that we have heard. Maybe we've even used it, but we maybe don't understand it. The place we gotta begin is this. We gotta ask ourselves this question. I want you to write this down. What is a disciple? Now, everybody listen really, really close, really close, Okay, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna teach, I'm getting ready to teach a college class and there's one of the things I'm gonna teach them, but I want you to hear it before I teach it to them. We gotta ask ourselves, what is a disciple? What does it mean? Listen close, when you're reading your Bible, it doesn't matter as much what it means to you. Our culture has got this upside down. We read and we see this word disciple and we look at each other and say, what's that mean to you? That don't matter. You know what matters? What it means. When Jesus said, go make disciples, what matters is what did he mean? What did he have in his mind? That's how you study your Bible. I know I'm taking you in the deep end. We'll pull back out, but you gotta go here with me because Jesus meant something. And I think what Jesus meant isn't always what we get a hold of. When Jesus said, go make disciples, he used that word on purpose. What did he mean when he said disciple? Here's what he meant. Listen, listen. The reason that word doesn't resonate with us when we think of Jesus, we think of him as Savior, Messiah, Son of God, and we should. But first century follower, there would have been something else they would have thought of that we don't think of as much, shame on us, but we just don't. When they thought of Jesus, they would have thought of him as a rabbi. A rabbi. 
In fact, you can go through and study the New Testament and say, you can look at the, the Gospels and he's referred to as a rabbi, which just simply is a teacher. A rabbi was a teacher who would go from place to place, listen close, gonna come in handy later. He would go place to place with his yoke. His yoke was his teaching. A rabbi's yoke was his teaching. And as he would go from place to place with his yoke, his teaching, he would invite others to follow and they would be his, go figure, disciples. Disciple literally means follower, student. We don't even understand that because when we think follower, we think Twitter, right? And what this was, was not a follower like that. It wasn't anything that comes to our mind. A better word, I learned this in seminary and I still think it's the best word is the word apprentice. And some of you understand that. Some of you work in trades where you had, you had to apprentice. And so when Jesus thought of what it meant to be a disciple, he was thinking about apprentice. Now, Jesus, listen close, this, I'm taking, this is technical stuff. And then all of a sudden it's going to go bam into your life. And you'll see how in a second. Jesus was not the only rabbi at this time, Right? He was not the only one. This was something common to them. In fact, in their education system, can I teach you this? You ought to know this because this helps you understand what Jesus had in mind. Their education system broke down in three kind of general ways. A student that would have started out and learned their ABCs, it would have started this way, something called Bet Sefer. It literally means house of the book. Here's all that means. Up until the age of 12, a child would have been in the house of the book, learned their ABCs, how to read from the book, literally the Hebrew scriptures. In fact, in that time, up through age 12, welcome back to school, getting ready to start back to school, a child in that Jewish Hebrew culture would have memorized most of the first five books of the Old Testament. Can I get an amen on that one? Welcome back to school, right? You think school's tough, huh? By age 12, what would have happened is a lot of Jewish boys then would have gone to work for their dad, apprentice into his job. A lot of Jewish gals would have prepared then for their life as a wife and a mother. The best of the best of the boys, by the way, Jesus was a rabbi who called men and women, different sermon, right? Fascinating, fascinating study also in history. But the best of the best would have gone to the second level. There's a letter missing in here. I saw this earlier, Paul. Beth Talmud literally means the house of the learning. You can forget this, but that's where the best of the best of the students would have gone, learned the Old Testament, learned theology, memorized most of the Old Testament. And then the third level was something called Talmudin. That is literally the Hebrew word for disciple or apprentice. That is rabbis who would have chosen the best of the best and they would have said, come, follow me, be my apprentice. And here's what it meant to apprentice. Remember, Jesus said, go make apprentices, go make disciples. You with me? Here's what it meant to apprentice. An apprentice, first and foremost, would have attached his life to his teacher. So if you were apprenticing under a rabbi, your goal was to be with that rabbi, eat with him, sleep at the foot of his bed, learn from him, grow to trust him, grow to know him, grow to love him, listen to his teachings, watch his habits. That was your goal. And then your second goal would have been to become like your teacher, so a rabbi literally was with their teacher and then transformed and became like their teacher to lead to the third goal, to do what your teacher did. Eventually the goal of an apprentice was that the rabbi looked and said, now you go make apprentices. You go make disciples. Stay with me, everybody look here. Don't miss this. Don't let this be lost on you. Jesus is the rabbi who's looking around and he says all of y'all in the room who are my followers he's like looking around he's like all y'all who are my followers now go make disciples everybody listen i've heard this passage preached a gazillion times and most most preachers they'll start with how do you do that 
okay, we're to make disciples. How do we do that? Everybody look here. I don't think that's the right place to start. And I think we'll miss the power of the punch in the passage if we start there. Like if you're like, okay, let's go make disciples. If we start with how do we do that, we're going to miss it. Because once I know what a disciple is, a disciple is an apprentice who attaches his life to his rabbi or his teacher. He becomes like his teacher and then he does what his teacher does. I don't wanna just say, okay, how do I go do that? The place I gotta begin, listen, please hear what I'm gonna say. I gotta ask myself, am I a disciple of Jesus? I can almost see in some of y'all's faces, well, certainly I am, right? Right? Some of y'all are saying that, right? Certainly I am. Some of y'all are, are, are sitting there this morning like, Pastor Dan, I can almost hear it, right? I can see your eyes. Pastor Dan, come on. I've been in church so long. I'm a Christian, right? I'm a Christian. Certainly the answer is yes. Everybody look here. I would suggest to you this morning that the answer to that question may not be as easy as it appears. You're saying, Dan, why would you say that? Well, can we just say this? Let's just be honest in here. That the term, everybody, Christian, the term Christian in our culture has become very confusing. And we use it in a lot of confusing ways. And it's become a term that many people use to mean many different things. And if a term eventually means many different things, it eventually means nothing. Let me, let me tell you what I mean. I know. I got your attention now. You're like, uh-oh, I might get an email on that one, huh? But when somebody tells me they're a Christian, you know what I want to know? I never know what they mean by it. Somebody, because if, if you tell somebody in a conversation, conversation killer is you're a pastor, right? Right? And so one of the, I'm a Christian. I'm like, awesome. And I'll, I'll ask the question. So warning, okay? I'll say, what do you mean by that? And here's what I found over the years. Like, I keep a mental log of this. I'm a Christian. I believe in God. Others mean, I'm a Christian. I go to church. Some people mean, I'm a Christian. I prayed a prayer when I was five. I'm a Christian. I got all the the cool T-shirts and I got the bumper stickers. I'm a Christian. I'm very moral and I adhere to a Christian code of living. Some people say, I'm a Christian. I go to church. I even get really excited when we sing and I love the worship, right? I'm a Christian. I love Christian music. Go to Christian concerts. I'm a Christian, right? Some people, this has truly happened. This has truly happened. I'm a Christian. What do you mean by that? I, uh, I have conservative views. And vote Republican, by the way, you know? You laugh, true answer. Like, that's what you mean by being a Christian? Wow. I... I, I I'm a Christian, what do you mean by that? I'm not Buddhist, I'm not Muslim. It's kind of association by elimination. And all of a sudden, this term Christian, like, what do you mean? And in our culture, it's become something. It's like, what does it mean? 76, write this down somewhere if you're ever taking notes. 76, everybody say it out loud with me. 76% of our population in this country would say they're a Christian makes a passage of scripture very interesting to me. I want to show it to you on the screen. We're going to tease it out a little bit and then we're going to ask some questions and be done. You ready? I, by the way, I don't think today has particularly been crafted to be entertaining, funny, or anything like that, but I, I've never had a talk that's more serious. Mark 8 is where I want you to go. Here's what it says. Then he, that's Jesus. We preached this a couple of weeks ago. Then he, Jesus, called the what? Everybody say the word out loud, the what? Crowd to him. And then Mark does something. He uses a literary device on purpose. Jesus called the crowd to him along with, say the two words out loud, along with his disciples. And he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Here's the point. Jesus had crowds that followed him everywhere. Jesus had crowds that were fascinated because he was a miracle worker. Like he might do a trick. I'm going to show up and watch him do some magic. Uh, He was an entertaining teacher, right? I mean, you want to hear Jesus teach, you want to see him do a magic trick, you want to somehow, man, he did the loaves and the bread, it's like, or the fish, and I want to see some of that kind of stuff. I mean, he had crowds, and what's interesting here is that Mark, on purpose, uses a literary device to literally draw a distinction between the crowd and his disciples. 
I think it begs a really, really good question that I got to ask myself that you got to ask yourself. Am I part of the Christian crowd or am I truly a disciple who's following Jesus? I'm going to say it again. I need to ask myself, am I part of a Christian crowd or, or am I really a disciple of Jesus? You see, here's what's interesting. Okay, and then, then we're going to tease it out. So get your pens ready. 76% of our country would say they're Christians. What's interesting is the word Christian is used three times in the New Testament. Three times. Everybody say it out loud. Three times. It was a term that was used by people who were not followers of Christ, and it's how they would describe people who followed the way. And it was usually disparagingly. You know what you are? You know what you are, Sammy? You're a little Christ. And it wasn't a compliment. Three times the word Christian is used. The word that is used predominantly over 260 times, if you're taking notes, over 260 times, is the word disciple. It's the word Jesus most liked using when he described his followers. Now here's where you really need to tune into the program. 76% of our country would say, I'm a Christian, yet independent surveys, independent surveys that they gave to people and they read the results, whereas 76% would say they're Christians. As they read the results of these surveys, 8%, 8% would actually be following Jesus and say they're a follower of Jesus. I'm not sure if I said this or not, but what I want to share with you this morning is really, really important. Did I say that? Because when you sit in my seat, those are the things that you think about. That people can go to church, call themselves a Christian, miss the point. 8%, I'm a Christian, I'm in. What do you mean by that? Oh, I mean anything it wants to mean. Jesus said, I'm looking for disciples. So the question is, am I a disciple of Jesus? Well, how do I know that? Well, there's several questions that we gotta ask because we now know what a disciple is, right? And so we'll fly through these. Paul, just stay up with me. I have no idea where I'm gonna go with this, okay? But, but we're gonna fly through these, but here's the questions we gotta ask. First, I gotta ask myself, have I attached my life to Jesus. Being a disciple of Jesus is not conforming to a Christian code of conduct. It's not even graduating from a Christian curriculum. It's attaching your life to a person. That person is Jesus. The coolest thing about being his disciple is Jesus. In Mark 3, when Jesus called his first disciples, here's what it says. He appointed 12 that they might be with him. That's what a disciple does. They attach their life to Jesus. Here's what that means. And then let's ask some really practical questions. It means a disciple of Jesus, first and foremost, attaches their life to Jesus as their savior. That's what it means to say yes to Jesus. That I I attach my life. I realize there's nothing I can do to gain salvation. There's nothing I can do but I am embracing, attaching myself to the one who did. That's Jesus. That's the only way for me to have salvation, forgiveness of sins, part of the family of God. But saying yes to Jesus, listen close, doesn't end there. It's me saying yes, Jesus, as my savior, and I'm attaching my life to you for the rest of my life as my leader, my teacher, my Lord, my king. I'm attaching my life to you. I'm saying yes to you for the rest of my life. Well, it begs a couple questions. What does it look like to attach your life to Jesus? Well, can you underneath of that write these questions? These are worth writing down because some of these really pressed into me these last couple weeks. I think the first question I gotta ask, and it sounds funny, and you don't hear this often in church, a guy named Brother Lawrence made it popular in the 1600s, but I'd ask myself this question. Do I practice the presence of Jesus in my life? Write it down, let's flesh it out. Do I practice the presence of Jesus in my life? Write it down and then look here a second because I gotta make a distinction. Some of you have gone to church a long time. I 
I want to make a distinction. I want you to hear it. I want to be kind and gracious about it, but I want to be clear. I got to ask myself, do I practice the presence of Jesus? Have I attached my life to Jesus? Jesus is not, ready? Jesus is not, ready? I don't think you're ready. You ready? Jesus is not looking for people who will make him part of their life. You ever heard that? Jesus is a big part of my life. He doesn't want to be a big part of your life. He wants to be your life. He's looking for people who attach their life to him. I hear people like, oh, Jesus is a part of my life, you know? What part? Because he's looking for people who will attach their life to him. Which part of my life? All of my life to Jesus. So I got to ask myself, see, a, a Christian would say, well, Jesus is a big part of my life. A disciple would say, no, I've got my entire life attached to Jesus. He's not like part of my life. That's my life. A, a Christian, you ready? Christian would say, Here, here's what he'd say. I'm a Christian. Said a prayer when I was five. I think I'm fine. A disciple is like, yeah, I asked Jesus to save me, and I've been saying yes to Jesus ever since. See how that works? So I gotta ask, do I practice the presence? I, I think of it this way. Am I being covered in the dust of my rabbi? Like, like, like this, the, there was an old Hebrew prayer that, that they prayed for disciples that may you be covered in the de- dust of your rabbi. And all that meant was this, is that you spent so much time with your rabbi that literally you were covered in his dust. And I gotta say, am I being covered in the dust of Jesus? Well, it begs this question. Well, Jesus isn't here and he's not kicking up any dust. Like, how am I covered in the dust? Like, Jesus left. What in the world does it mean to practice the presence of God How do I practice the presence of God when Jesus isn't physically present? Well, you'd be in good company because his disciples thought that. And he said, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send the Holy what? The Holy, everybody say it out loud, the Holy Spirit. You see, that's how it connects. The spiritual life and practicing the presence of Jesus is living in the Spirit, following the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, learning to be constantly aware of the Spirit and His presence in our life. That's what it means. To be covered in His dust is to be filled in the Spirit. That's why I'm really excited. Can we throw that next series up here? Beginning next week, we're going to start a series called Life Is, five weeks, one chapter one of the most powerful chapters in all the Bible, Romans 8. And Romans 8 is all about what does life in the spirit look like? Can I just say there's a lot of confusion that people think that to be spirit-filled is like this hokey-pokey, hocus-pocus magic and like spooky. And Romans 8 tells us exactly what it means to be filled in the spirit. It means a new freedom. It means a new standing. It means a new family. It means a new perspective, even in the middle of hard times. It means a new security. And that's what it means to be covered in the dust of my rabbi, Jesus, to be filled in the spirit. I just need to say this and then I need to fly. Guys, this is something that's pressed me the the, the last several weeks. It's really pressed me. It's like, how do I practice the presence of Jesus? Jesus is here right now. Have you stopped and thought about that yet? Like he's here. Like he's attending our service. Hopefully he's in charge of our service. See what I'm saying? Uh, For for me, one of the ways this plays out, like like don't make, this isn't like some, you know, intellectual talk. It's like, like for me, just for me, and I've learned this, I've read tons of books and studied other people, but don't make it so hard. It's like for me, I get up very early in the morning. Can I get an amen on that? Any early birds, right? Anybody up four o'clock? Yeah, I have coffee sometime, right? But four o'clock, that's when I get up. I, how did I start getting up at four? I just started and I just, that's where I'm at. But beginning to practice the presence of Jesus, I would begin my day like, bam, I'd start hitting and doing whatever it is. And I began, I, I listened to a guy and he challenged me this way. The first five or 10 minutes, I just sit in my office and I become aware of the fact that today I'm gonna go through this day with Jesus. And Jesus, you're here. I know, it sounds crazy, right? But either it's true or it's not. And he's saying, I'm looking for disciples. I need to ask this question, and 
For the sake of time, we're gonna fly, so I want you to write these down. I need to ask, am I listening to the teachings of Jesus? Jesus' call on our life was not simply believe in me and go to heaven. That's part of it. His call was to follow him. Look at Matthew 11. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my, say the word out loud, take my, well, now you know what that means, upon you. And learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Everybody look here. I need to ask, am I listening to Jesus? Ready, ready? Like, you get that. Ready, ready? But I gotta ask, am I listening, ready, to all of the teachings of Jesus? Not just the ones I really, really like. I gotta ask myself, Am I listening to the teachings of Jesus on finances? I didn't get any amens on that one. I got to ask, am I listening to the teachings of Jesus on sex? I got to ask, am I willing to listen to the teachings of Jesus when it comes to things that maybe are hard for me to do like forgiveness? I gotta ask, am I listening to the teachings of Jesus when it comes to worry? You see what I'm saying? Like there's ones that become our pet teaching. You're saying, Dan, is this really a big deal? You bet it is. I've been doing this a long time and I've had conversations even recently of people who are like, I love Jesus. I have said yes to Jesus. I'm all about Jesus. Well, tell me about your life. Well, I'm all about Jesus, but I met this person and we're kind of having sex together and they're not really my wife. But I'm all about Jesus. Now listen, you come in and tell me that, I'm not gonna be like, you sinner! I'm not gonna do that, right? But you know what I will do? I'll say... So did you say yes to following Jesus? Yes! All of what Jesus said? Now listen, listen, listen. What do you think Jesus had to say about that? I know, but it's just, listen, easier. And I think Jesus wouldn't have brought this person into my life if he, and I'm like, really? Because Jesus said my teaching, my yoke is what? Light. And when I determine to get out from underneath that yoke of his teaching, all of a sudden he's not carrying the yoke with me anymore and I'm over here like, I'm gonna do it my way. Because it seems easy. See how it works? He's saying, I'm looking for those who will follow me. Am I willing to listen to all of his teaching? You ought to ask this and then, then I need to go to the next, next point. Do I love Jesus the more I follow Jesus? Jesus says, you don't need to throw this up here. He says, the more I, more I love him, I'll obey him. And if I obey him, I'm loving him. He's like, those things go together. I think the way Jesus says it is this, Mark. I think he says, if you love me, you'll obey me. Makes sense, right? And then I need to ask, am I attaching my life to others who love Jesus and are following Jesus? You, you need to know this, that following Jesus is not a, not a solo activity, right? Like, like, you're the only one who can decide to follow Jesus, but it's something that happens in relationship. Have I attached my life to Jesus? Am I a disciple of Jesus? Which leads to this question. I need to ask myself second, because this now you know what a disciple is, am I becoming more like Jesus? That's the idea of transformation. Now, everybody look here saying, I've got to fly through this, but this is so important. So some of you grew up in church and you heard the old word sanctification, spiritual formation, transformation. Some of you are shaking your head. You know what I'm talking about. Forget that for a minute. Am I becoming more like Jesus? That's the question. Am I becoming more like Jesus? So it begs the question, how does that happen? How do I become more like Jesus? And here's the answer. Sometimes it happens in church world, right? Do I become like Jesus just by knowing more? Now listen, listen, it's important to know more. But, but is that going to guarantee I become like Jesus? No. I know people that know more about the Bible than you and me put together, and they aren't really all that much like Jesus. Amen? You know people like that too. 
Then it begs the second question, and here's where I think a lot of us get in trouble because we're in this vicious cycle. If it's not about knowing more, then is it about trying harder? So you go hear the preacher preach, like, I mean, become like Jesus, inspired, and I know Jesus wants me to be like Jesus, and I'm going to go out there and I'm going to try really hard, and here's the way it works, because I've talked to many of you. So I tried really hard to be like Jesus, and about Wednesday, right, amen? And so then you come back in next time, like, let's be like Jesus, and I, I'm going to try really hard. But you got that same boss, you got that same neighbor, and it's like, And this vicious cycle, and it's like these people who try hard show up at church, preacher preaches, right? What if, everybody listen, I'm going to teach you something that that, that, that there's a book that I read years ago. I reread it in the last several weeks by a guy named John Ortberg. It is worth reading. What if becoming like Jesus, you ready, wasn't about knowing more and wasn't even about trying harder? What if it wasn't about trying harder? You're saying, you're going to have to help me understand that, and I'd be happy to imagine. You're going to have to put your imagination caps on. Can you do that? Imagine I wasn't a pastor or a preacher. Can you do that? Imagine I worked for the USA Olympic recruiting and coaching team. Can you imagine that? Just say yes. Can you imagine that? Yep. I see somebody shaking their head no back there. Okay, I'll remember that. But just imagine that. Can we do that for a few seconds? And imagine we did all the research. Imagine we did all the data. Imagine we looked at every group of people across the United States of America. And after doing all the research, all the data, looking at all the numbers, digging as far deep as we could, they sent me to Norton, Ohio. Because the research told them, you ready? That of all the people in the United States, y'all are the people who are best suited and best equipped and ready to represent the United States of America in the next Olympics. You ready? In the event of the marathon. Can I get an amen on that? Some of you are sitting right here saying, I've never run in my life. Some of you are saying, I run to the bathroom. Some of you are thinking, no way, right? For some of you, it's like, it's just futile. I can't even imagine it. But I might stand up here and inspire you. I might coach you. I might even convict you. I might even be able to show you the data. You're like, yes, we can do it. And some of you, it might inspire you to go and read everything you can read about marathons. And you might be the most knowledgeable person on the planet about marathons. But when it comes time for the event, how good do you think you're going to be at running it? Others of you, you know what you might do? Like, yes, we are the marathon runners. And you might go out and try really, really hard. Like, that's what I am. I'm a marathon runner, right? Dan told me so. And so you go out and you picture me on your shoulder. That's creepy. Picture me on your shoulder saying, you can do it. You can do it. And it gets you inspired to run about 3.2 miles. And you come back the next week and I tell you, you're the marathon runner. You're like, I can do it. And you go out and try again and you come back and I can do it. You try again. But there's going to be a small swath of you who know it's not just about going and studying the marathon. There's going to be a small swath of you who know it's not just try harder and I'm going to be the best marathon runner, but there's going to be a small swath of you that if you believe what I tell you, you know what you're going to do? You're going to go and not just know more, that might be important, not just try harder, but you're going to go what? Train. And what if, guys, listen to me, what if becoming like Jesus was more about training than trying harder? You see... This is something that in this book that John Ortberg wrote, and that example is right out of that book, that so leaned into me because Jesus is the one who said it. Look at what he said in Luke 6. He told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? Answers, yes. He says, verse 40, the student, the disciple, is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully, what's the word? Everybody who is fully what? trained will be like their teacher for the sake of of time and I can't flesh this out too far but I want you to look here because this is so important every last one of you in this room right now are being trained did you know that you are 
You're being formed. Everybody, every last one of us. I think, there, we, we talked about this in Long Story Short series, but there's four things at minimum that, that are training every last one of us in this room, all of us. The four things that train us or form us are first, the story that you believe. You can write these down, this is, this is pretty important to know. The story that you believe will form you. You're saying, Dan, what do you mean? It's your worldview. It's the glasses you look at life through, right? So whatever that story, so if you believe we came from animals, which if you're here and you believe, like maybe that's what you believe, it's, that's the story you're gonna live into. It's gonna determine what you think about certain things. Uh, if, if you believe there is no absolute truth, that's the story you'll live into. By the way, um, if you believe there's no absolute truth, you have to be absolutely certain that that's absolutely true, that there's no absolute truth, but that's a different sermon, right? And you track? But you might believe that. It's the story you live into. Listen, listen, listen. Okay, the, the, if you believe that whatever the majority decides must always be the right decision, then that's the story you'll live into. You see how that works? You see, whatever it is, it, that, that's our worldview, and, and it begins to train us. It begins to form us. Not only that, the second thing I think that begins to form us is the habits that we practice. They form us. You already know this. The habits that we practice day after day, they form who we are. They form our affections. That We, we all of a sudden become the habits. Third, you already know this. The relationships you have, they form us. You know this. So the relationships you have in your life, they influence you. They begin to form you, right? They begin to train you. That's why your parents are so concerned about that when you're kids, right? And then fourth, the environment you're in, it forms you. It trains you, okay? It's fascinating. So, so what do you mean by that? Then? Well, you are formed because you grew up in this country, right? That's, that's your environment. Not only that, but you grew up in Northeast Ohio. Not only that, but you grew up in Akron, and so those things formed you. It's the environment you live in. Now, now listen, Jesus is calling a disciple. Listen, I've got to bring it home right here, right? What if becoming like Jesus was more about training than trying? And what if the story we lived into was the story Jesus presented? And what if the environment we chose to live in was to practice the presence of Jesus all the time in our life? And what if, just what if the habits that we formed became spiritual disciplines that led to spiritual fruit? Listen close, I'm gonna teach you something that you need to know. Reading your Bible, uh-oh, reading your Bible is not the goal. It's a habit. Jesus was very much about reading the scriptures. But the goal isn't to say, I read my Bible. That's... I'm a good Christian, I read my Bible. The goal is I read my Bible because I want to hear from God, look for Jesus to become more like Jesus. You see how that works? And the habits, this guy, John Ortberg, I love how he says it, the habits we form spiritually in our life are just sails that we set up in the ship of our life so that we can catch the wind of the Spirit. That's worth writing down. See, we all have habits and our habits form us. And so what if practicing the presence of Jesus in our life became the environment we chose to live in? What if the story and the teachings of Jesus became the story we lived into? What if the habits that we formed became spiritual disciplines that caught the wind of the spirit in our life? Now listen, don't make that too mystical. Can I tell you one that's challenged me? Let me just give you a practical. I told you last week, you know, what my doctor said and all that kind of stuff. By the way, some of you have given me lots of free advice. I appreciate that. But, but uh, can I just tell you something that's really challenged me? That, that as I look at Jesus, and I've read this over and over again, but, but, but Jesus lived an unhurried life. You ever read about Jesus' life? It was unhurried. And, and can I just tell you that sometimes the sail that is most important for me to set is the sail of rest? Did you ever read Jesus and his rhythm? Right? Like, why do I read my Bible? Because I want to set my sail to catch the wind. Why do I pray and talk to Jesus? Why do I come to church? Because that's what a good Christian does. If it's the ends, I miss the point of what it means to be a disciple. It simply is a sail because I want to follow Jesus. See how that works? 
Why do I rest? I don't need rest. I'm one of those guys, right? My wife will tell you, probably some of you would tell you, I love people a whole lot better when I'm rested. Can I get an amen on that? You see, it's a habit. It's a habit so that I can catch the wind, so that I can live the life Jesus called me to live. You see, he's saying becoming like Jesus is maybe a matter of training, not simply trying. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not microwaved. So I need to ask myself, am I becoming more like Jesus? Is it easier for me to love my enemies than it was earlier in my relationship with Jesus? Is it easier for me to forgive? Does it come quicker? Am I more prone to trust than I am to worry? Am I more patient, kinder? Which leads to this last question and then I'm gonna just fold it all together, we're done. I need to ask myself, am I doing what Jesus did? Last week we looked at John 14, it says that whoever believes in me will do the works that I do, greater works than these he'll do because I'm going to the Father. I need to just ask myself, do I have the same passion as Jesus, same priorities and same purpose of Jesus? You see, here's the point. Jesus said, go make disciples. Everybody listen, because I'm done. I can't make what I'm not. So if I simply spent the whole sermon saying, here's how you make disciples, I would miss the point. Do you guys know I love you? I honestly do. I love what I get to do here. I love the chance to serve here. I love teaching. I absolutely love teaching the word of God. Can I tell you something that makes my spirit restless? It makes my spirit restless because of, your faces come to my mind when I study. Did you know, it's kind of creepy, I know, but they do. Some of you sit in the same place every week. So I look for you. What makes my spirit restless is that we might have a crowd And a lot of us would say we're Christian, but maybe not disciples and followers. See how that works? And I could sit up here and try to be funny and come up with a cool sermon and just like go out and say, Dan, I like that, man. You're really funny today. My goal is not to be funny. Because I think about you guys all the time. That's why I'm here. And Jesus said, come, follow me. Attach your life to me. Practice the presence of Jesus. Listen to the teachings of Jesus. Get to know Jesus. Trust Jesus. Love Jesus. Take his yoke of his teaching. It's light. But this feels, take his yoke and follow me. Attach yourself with people who are following Jesus. You know what making disciples is then? I gotta ask myself, if I'm a disciple, am I making disciples? Making disciples is this, inviting others to attach their life to Jesus with me. Making disciples is, who am I inviting to become like Jesus with me? Who am I practicing the presence of Jesus with Who am I learning the teachings of Jesus with? Who is it that I'm following and obeying and loving Jesus with? And then simply looking and saying, who's coming along with me to do what Jesus did along beside me? See, Paul said this in 1 Corinthians. He said, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow me as I follow Jesus. We've made discipleship way too hard. But the reason we've made discipleship too hard is because we haven't understood what it means to be a disciple. And I can't make what I'm not. Can I ask you to bow your heads all across the room? No music, no emotional moment. Everybody bow your heads. If you want to close your eyes, you can. But can I ask you in this moment, the quietness of this moment, are you a follower of Jesus? 
Have you said yes to Jesus and attached your life to Jesus as your Savior? He loves you. The funny thing about Jesus, the rabbi, he said, whoever wants to come and follow me is welcome. It wasn't the best of the best. Men, women, old, young, he said, come follow me. Have you ever attached your life to Jesus as the only one who could save you? Have you attached your life to Jesus as your leader, teacher, rabbi, king, and Lord? Are you practicing the presence of Jesus? How would that change the way you and I talk to each other? How would it change the way you look at work tomorrow? How would it change your home if you recognize the presence of Jesus constantly and consistently in your life? Are you listening to the teachings of Jesus? Not just the easy ones, the fun ones, the popular ones. Are you listening to the teachings of Jesus? He says, take my yoke upon you. It's easy, it's light. And if you follow me, I'll be under that yoke with you. You see, you might be here in the room and maybe you've never said yes to Jesus and I would encourage you, I'm not gonna give you a prayer to pray, just say yes, Jesus. I believe that you're the only one who can save me and yes, Jesus, I wanna follow you. I want to listen to you. I want to practice the presence of Jesus. I want you to be the one because I want to become more like Jesus. Can I ask some of you that would call yourself a Christian, you came in here, can I ask, are you becoming more like Jesus? And maybe your answer is no, maybe because it's you're trying harder, and maybe the takeaway for you today is what would it mean for you to begin training? What would it mean for you to begin listening every day for a few minutes each day to Jesus and his teachings, and that be the story you live into? What would it mean for you to begin to develop habits sails that you can set up in your life that catch the wind of the Spirit? What would it mean for you to begin to surround yourself with others who are following Jesus? Can I ask you this? Who's coming along with you on the journey? Who are you inviting to attach their life to Jesus? Jesus said, as you're going, make disciples. So God, I'm just asking that you help us. I pray that as we pray and say amen and leave here, that you'd help us to attach to Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did, and invite others along in that journey. Thank you for the invitation. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.